This is Fam Electric Ghost, and we are live on our Twitch, YouTube, and Facebook channels. And with the Schmidt Show, is that what you you call yourself? Schmidt Show is your artist name. Mm-hmm. I used to yeah. have a few other ones, but they didn't work out as well. Uh, this didn't fit me. <laughs> so this is uh, this is your new persona today. Mm-hmm. Now, what we want to do is, um, this is the first time you've been on the program. And we do have a sponsor before we get into everything, but we are going to show a YouTube video in its full entirety of your work, and then we'll get into the questions. But um, we do have a sponsor, and we like to you know keep the show free, so we do have one sponsor right now. And um, Newsly is an audio app for iOS and Android, and it picks up web articles about the most trending topics on the web at any given moment and reads them back to you in a natural human voice. So it gives you a listenable web. Uh, and you can browse articles, you choose and start playing and stop scrolling, start listening. And now they have podcasts as well. And you can explore trending podcasts from over 40 countries. And our podcast, the Family Electric Ghost podcast is on there. So download and use Newsly for free by going to www.newsly.me or use the link that we have on, on our actual podcast. And use promo code GHOST2021. Uh, that's Ghost 2021 and get a free one month free subscription. So we got that out of the way. So we want to just kind of cue up the video we have for you. Now the song is titled is called Missing uh, You My Love. And we'll get into like the whole song and everything about the video. But we want to, you know, get into this to show you what, what Smith show sounds like before we actually interview. So that will give people a good kind of frame of reference. So we're going to get into that right now. And start it, cue it up, and then we'll talk about it on the back side.
So that was Missing You, My Love, and we're back to our interview with Smith Show. And um, yeah, I like I like that song. You can hear me, right? I can hear you, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you're back. Cool. Um, what's cool about, you know, I'm a big fan of New Wave. Um, you know, I'm a synthesis and you know, modular synthesizer enthusiast. And so I, I kind of pick up some like new order sound to that. Um, and it, at least that's what I hear, but because that's where my head's at. But um, I, I always appreciate uh, folks that, that use synthesizers in that kind of uh, 80s way or 90s um, uh, influence. Right. For me, that's my favorite stuff because, like, I grew up listening to lots of funk and stuff like that that was kind of like more 70s, 80s funk. So, like, but it was also mm-hmm. mixed with like a lot of he- heavy synthesizer stuff. So, like, yeah. it always from a young age really influenced me, and I love the way that they sound and everything. And Bootsy Collins is like my base oh, yeah. savior. So, like, yeah. you know, get that, like, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. I kind of grew, totally grew up on that. I mean, I'm at 54, so like, I'm a child of the 70s. I got to hear it like from my my older brother was seven years older than me right and I'm a child of the 70s and my dad was in the you know was into like you know earth wind and fire and stevie wonder he had songs in the key of life on eight track right and I was a kid and he was like playing it over and over and I just like got so inspired by the sounds I heard on that record because it was like it was all like Yamaha GX1 dream machine and uh cs80 and those are like really crazy synthesizers and uh how stevie used them and then later listening to funkadelic in parliament and how like you know uh bernie warrell like his his work on the moog uh on the mini moog you know in hammond b3s and stuff is like it's just phenomenal um mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. i just grew up with that kind of level of like electronic music you know keith emerson genesis uh pink floyd you know, Pete Townsend on Barbara O'Reilly, stuff like that. You know, that's 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 mm-hmm. kind of what I grew up. You know, but so let's get into that that video. So, is that a video that you worked with a director, or did you self do that? I had to make it all myself. It, well, uh, the the song and the video I made while I was stuck in quarantine because I was mm-hmm. exposed to COVID over you know last winter on my birthday no less so like i got quarantined from my birthday for like two weeks and so i had nothing to do and uh, i was i was you know i couldn't see my girlfriend or anything so i was like i wrote i wrote the song you know i was at the time i was listening oh, to not being able to see your girlfriend not being able to see people because you're in quarantine mm-hmm. or not, you're not yeah. being able to specifically see your girlfriend it, I would say um, it was more my girl, more not being able to see my girlfriend than anything. But I, I figured, you know, it has a kind of like a broad thing that you could, you know, people can. Yeah, know, it could be anybody. It, it could be a family. It could be your girlfriend. It could be your wife. You know, um, mm-hmm. your significant other. So yeah, so that so you had do you have experience in doing like kind of computer animation? Is that something you were going to school for, or you just decided to do that for this video? Well, a, a little bit. Um, I didn't go to school for it, but since I was homeschooled. That, like all I had was like an hour of schoolwork a day, and then for the rest of the day, I pretty much just spent working on my own projects. And so I still mm-hmm. have some of the old, uh, like I have uh, Toon Boom, and I have uh, 3D Mandel Bulb, which is uh, the 3D fractal program that I used to to make uh, this video. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah it's, it's like polygonal graphics. Like, mm-hmm. Those are like polygonal graphics, like used in video games and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. That's how yeah, yeah, like, smoothing stuff and water and stuff like that. Yeah, I'm old school. Like I started on a Texas instrument, like old school in like 1979. It was like a PC you had hooked up to a black and white TV. And it had like yeah, sprite yeah. graphics, sprite graphics using like Pascal and Fortran. <laughs> so I'm old school. I, I, can, I can do COBOL. I'm, I'm a crazy. I'm old school. Um, I'm a mainframe guy. Um, that's not my day job. But um, yeah. So yeah, I get I get computers because that's why I'm a synthesis. Because like I figured like I want to do something fun with computers when I'm working with actuaries all day, which is mind numbing. Um, so I need mm -hmm. to do something more fun. Um, so let's get into your, your into why you got into music. Um, like I always ask all the guests I talk to, um, like when did you first get into music? Like what age? Is it something that um, you always wanted to do or you were inspired to do? Like you know, what age did you start? Well, uh, it's kind of hard to define an age that I started because like I grew up uh, with a small like little house church thing and everybody like they they give you like a little instrument to play or something like that so ever since i was small i've had like a little drum or something that i've been banging on and just playing mm -hmm. uh for forever but my dad when i was about about 10 11 my dad was like okay so it's time that you need to learn how to do a uh, play an instrument because he's a multi-instrumental artist person so at the time i didn't want to do it i was like i don't want to do this this is just extra homework you make me learn how to play the piano and the violin. What is this? And so yeah. he forced me to do that for a, for a few years. And eventually, like I was like, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to do it my own way. Which is like I got on my computer and I got GarageBand out. I'm like, I'm not going to, you know, I don't want to constantly practice Bach and stuff like that. And so I started making my own stuff and um, basically just fucking around with uh, uh, GarageBand for about a year, you know, because I wanted to make music for the background of video games that I was trying to program. At the mm -hmm. time, because I was trying to teach myself, you know, basic computer stuff. So made that. And then eventually my dad was like, here, have this computer. It has logic on it. And mm -hmm. so I got onto logic and like I started playing. And I was like, oh, wow, these are actually really good. I can make like professional sounding songs now. And so did your dad he, kind of show you logic or he let you kind of work it on, figure it out yourself? Basically, he just kind of gave it to me and he didn't pressure me at all because he saw how bad it was like when he tried to pressure me to, to learn. Oh, so he let you kind of like, discover it on, on your own? Yeah. And he like, and every once in a while, he would like be like, oh, come, come into my office, which was like the extra room that we had, his studio and everything. And he would be like, oh, can you help me figure out how to do this EQ or whatever? Because he liked yeah. like, uh, having my ears since I was way younger and I had less ear damage. I could like help yeah. him with like balances, hi-hats and stuff like that. So I would I learned how to do EQ and stuff like that just from working with my dad and him just kind of encouraging me and be like, oh, yeah, well, what about, what do you think of this? And then I'm like, oh, that's cool. And then I would go and try it on my computer because I'm like, oh, I've figured out how to do something new now. And so it just kind of took off from there. It was about like, but I 14, see that you got, like you're, you're into guitars too, right? You play guitar? Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. I so I think it's always cool when you're a singer-songwriter to, to be able to do that. I'm kind of a frustrated guitar player. So I figured out how to get my Roland to actually sound like a guitar. So I actually don't play guitar, but I have a lot of guitar-like music in my sound that for like the last 20 years, I spent all this time trying to get my Rolands to sound like Gibsons and <laughs> and, and uh, Fender Strats and Telecasters. And I just, you know, when I mixed them with Moogs to try to give it a, like an analog feel. Um, so is this something like, my brother learned guitar when I was young. We had a garage. Mm -hmm. We had actually had a band, and he picked up the guitar and he could figure it out. 
and then I picked up a, a synth and I was able to figure it out, but I always wanted to play guitar. Um, mm -hmm. But so I still am yeah. inspired by tons of guitar players like Jimmy Page and Hendrix and Clapton and all the great like lead players, because I think it's just something that's cool to put into your music. But today it's like, we're not in a rock focused world. We, our mm -hmm. world is like more hip hop, EDM, techno trap, other things. Um, but I'm still a big fan of that. So it's cool. Like when you integrate guitar into stuff, so we'll talk mm -hmm. more about that. Um, so, so how long have you been working on your own music once you got that dog? When, when did you say you would say you started putting together stuff that you wanted to put out or play in front of people? Um, I was about 15, um, when it started, cause I got into Psytrance cause my brother showed me infected mushroom and paranormal attack. So I was like, oh, I really like this. And so I, mm -hmm. I started making stuff on my computer and I wouldn't tell my parents that like, you know, what it was about usually because i had like kind of cryptic titles because i wanted to be all psychedelic and cool and edgy and everything yeah so but <laughs> yeah. then i i would go to the library since i didn't have internet at my house i'd go to the library and then i would upload my music to a youtube channel at the time okay. i was known as tina knockle and but, but from 15 to 18 i started getting more into subscribers stuff like that then i started noticing people were taking literally taking my songs and then like re-uploading them under like a different artist name but keeping the same song yeah title. stealing, and stealing so, your stuff yeah, and then that <laughs> pissed me off so i just deleted everything off my channel and just deleted the channel i was like i'm done i'm not doing this again and then three years later rolls around when i was about 21 i'm still making music the entire time while doing it because just that's just what i do it's just my favorite thing to do you know i like making music it makes me happy so and then i was like yeah, oh, i'll try good. to play it again yeah, I guess the problem is on the net you do have a you do have a lot of pirates. You know, I I use a, I use different ways to keep like I'm a member of BMI, the Songwriters Association, you know, professional guild, and then you know making sure you copyright and register your stuff through our, however you put it out. I see on DistroKid, yeah, they have stuff like that. So I'm a, I'm a SoundCloud artist, but um, so yeah, I just think like a lot of times people get into it and they don't realize the 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 actual like negative side of the industry. Is that there are a lot of like people in the industry that will give you bad deals, take like mm -hmm. 80, 80, 20 deals, 90, 10 deals where they take all your work and make money on it <laughs> mm -hmm. or steal your work and make money on it. Either way, like a 90, 10 deal is like stealing your work, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, but, uh, so yeah, it's just, it's just, it can get artists. And I know a lot of artists, they get into it because they love music. It's like, not that they want to be, like in the top 20 or top 10, they do it. A lot of the people I interview are independent artists, singer, songwriters, producers that just have a, their own vision. They want to do it their way. They don't want to be on a major label. They do it because they love it. And uh, mm -hmm. I like to know people in that zone because I think that's where a lot of innovation is happening. Um, mm -hmm. And then in the industry, because the industry likes to clone. And so they just like the next clone of Beyonce, the next clone of Drake, the next clone of whoever's doing what. And so if you want something new, you got to look in other places. <laughs> so true. So true. So, so who are your, I think you mentioned like uh, Bernie Worrell um, as a reference point, but I'll ask it a little deeper. Like who are your influences and reference points as you started to get into, it? you did mention uh, uh, um, the other band. And I just want to get like maybe a list of like your influence to see how diverse or where you're coming from i would say first and foremost my biggest influence is bruce coburn um he's a canadian um folk uh artist from like basically he started in like the late 60s and he's still doing music now but, but 
Yeah. Like guitar I've heard work. He's an amazing guitarist. And like his poetry and the way he writes his lyrics is just just cream of the crop. It's, it's my favorite. And so those are like probably my biggest influences for how I want my music to feel and come across and be able to convey a message. But when it comes to style, I would say I'm heavily, as we were talking about earlier, heavily influenced by like Parliament Funkadelic and um, lots of uh, different um, musical artists. Like I love Devo. I'm a, I'm a, yeah, I'm a huge Devo. fan Devo. of Devo. You know, I'm part of like the same little, you know, cult that they're in. You have a subgenius, you have Church of Subgenius. It's fucking hilarious. It's great. Um, and I also like craft work. Grew up listening to a lot of craft work. Lots of yeah. the craft foundational awesome. kind of people that were coming up with it. And like Tangerine Dream. For my ambient stuff, mm-hmm. Tangerine Dream is like, like oh, my yeah. goal to, to sound like that. Well, being a keyboardist, I'm big time influenced by them. Like, like Steely Dan, Tangerine Dream, Sun Ra, you know, Davis, Miles Davis, like Bitches Brew. Um, a mm. lot of what I get, it comes from like jazz. Like, so Sun Ra is like my favorite jazz outfit because no, nobody knows who they are. <laughs> um, right. And so they they have a lot, they have a massive catalog and like you, nobody heard it. Like everybody's heard Bitches Brew, or, mm-hmm. you know, but nobody's really heard the jazz and silhouette or like mm-hmm. Space is the Place. Maybe people know Space is the Place, but not a lot of people know it. But, um, yeah, this I think like you were mentioning like old school influences like Joy Division, was the one is one of my biggest influences as like a new wave band. But I mean they had like two records, but you know they they became New Order, but the initial song like Disorder, you know is so impactful because it's like post punk, it's got all this weird kind of craft work synthesizer in it that's on the low end of the song, and it just has this kind of punk aesthetic where the voice doesn't have to be pitch perfect, but it actually is very vital what Ian Curtis was saying. And uh, to me, it's always been like a big driver of what I do is like that kind of new romantic post-punk sound um, is where I come from. But it's interesting to hear that you would like D- Devo because it's coming from like the kind of same same era, same concepts. Mm-hmm. I would say another Which big cool. influence though is Tool. Tool is probably Tool? at least, yeah. Oh, Lately, it's it's my, my biggest influence because I've been really getting into um, the uh, polyrhythms and the way that Danny Carey does rhythm. I'm trying yeah, like a new type of, like, uh, like for something on a project that I'm working on now, it's in, like, first it starts off in five, uh, five, six time and then goes mm-hmm. to different time signature five four and then it's got a bunch of different time signatures but they all blend together because of the way that i set up the polyrhythm but it's also electronic instead of just being metal like tool so i have like a drum and bass feel as well mm-hmm. as like this kind of weird new new wave type of uh, feel for the lyrics and stuff like that where I, the way i sing and stuff i do like, like uh i kind of grew rock. up with like progressive rock where i like the idea like a band like yes would start off in one key one type signature and then go to these like you know orchestral type structures where they have different movements and they start off at one time one key switch to another key come back you know and you know you can mm-hmm. see that in funkadelic does the same thing they oh, they yeah. can they, they they will go and do progressive funk where they'll have mm-hmm. lots of heavy, heavy metal blues rock you know psychedelia with orchestral structures because you know bernie went to berkeley so he has all this orchestral stuff going on, along with funk, along with rock. And so, you know, with, mm-hmm. with you know, Hazel, and then you got, you know, Bootsy, 
And then George Clinton coming up with the crazy lyrics and the voice changes, uh, like Sir Knows. Uh, yeah, I love Sir. Well, that's where Josephine Electric kind of came out of the idea of Sir Nose and uh, Princess Camille. Like I might have, like, I have an alter ego called Josephine that's totally influenced by Sir Nose and, and what Prince did with Camille. Because I use like Roland VT4s and VT3 mm -hmm. vocal voice transformers. They're actually synthesizers that change your voice in real time. And uh, they used to use tape loops, um, but in backward tape speed or slow tape speed on an analog deck. Uh, is how they used to do it, but I can do it in real time. But um, yeah, it's just to me, it's like it's just a lot of cool things you can do when you cross genre. You know, if you go, mm -hmm. you take a little punk, you take a little reggae, you take African rhythms, you take some. You know, I think like everybody, a lot of people really, you know, that know synthesizer stuff will always you know, name check craft work, and mm -hmm. it's, it's very important because I mean Prince's whole career kind of started with his like understanding of craft work and then turning it into the Minneapolis sound, like taking a piece of what craft work sounds like and then altering it to be in a funk uh, genre um, is, is really cool. And then, you know, Brian Eno's work with Bowie in the seventies, oh, yeah. you know, is, is, is really like key to, I think anybody's into a synth synthesis, you know, we'll get into like the core guys who did it, um, you know, like Keith Emerson, and I always name check Pete Townsend because of his work on the ARP 2500 and uh, the envelope follower on songs like Relay and uh, Who Are You. Um, the, the ability to, re to run that, run your guitar into the ARP and use the envelope follower it gave the guitar this kind of up and down uh, modulation, which is really mm -hmm. key to that sound. Like it's, it's a big who sound, like something Townsend came up with. And it was weird because he's a he's a guitar player, but a lot of people think he's like one of the best synthesizer players ever too, because the way he approached the synthesizer was different than the way Bernie Worrell or Keith Emerson or any of the other guys, because he's a guitar player first. And so he looked mm -hmm. at the instrument in a different way. So when you look at like when you're doing synthesis because you can play guitar, do you like take a, a guitar point of view or are you trying to do like a pure like uh, you know, keyboard concept, or do you try to mix it? See, that's that's the kind of the hard part to define because, like, um, before, because for a long time I played guitar, but I was not good at it. Like, I couldn't do bar chords. I could barely struggle with regular chords. I would just, I kind of, I just would put on a little bit, like a couple riffs on a song, and that was about it. But recently, <laughs> I've been able to actually play more. And before, my my keyboard worked, and now it doesn't. So now I'm a lot more guitar heavy and then like i'll play i'll play out the riff or whatever the thing that i'm hearing in my head record it and then i'll go through and then i'll have to like um pretty much draw whatever the melody line is because my keyboard barely works so okay so you're doing it on the grid the and like the, so yeah, you're so using your daw to do the grid the grid work yeah actually yeah yeah i get it but I, like i use the guitar to come up with like the sounds and the melodies and how i want it to flow so that so it does have a different feel because when I'm playing on the piano, I'm used to doing like different chords and like certain like kind of little lilts that I'm used to like banging on it because I also like playing yeah. drums and stuff like that. So I'm used to very percussive kind of playing. Yeah. The guitar is a little bit more slidey and you know, yeah. But the stuff on the it's, guitar it's you can do is flow Yeah, you can't do it. Like I try, like I said, I try to do guitar stuff on my on my Roland. 
and, and one mm -hmm. of the cool things about Roland, they have this thing called a supernatural sound, which what it does is every instrument on my Roland has some things about it that actually are like what the real instrument does. Like, so if you play a wind instrument, it can do trills. If you do a certain movement of your finger, it, it, okay. the sound is programmed to have certain aspects. So if you do a guitar, you get the modulation wheel, it can actually do feedback. And then you can, if you hit the note a certain way, it can actually it, it represent a pitch bend. If you hit like two notes together, like a flat and in a, in a, in a major key, at the same time or a sharp it'll actually figure oh you want to bend this and it'll do it um so 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 it's kind of cool um that you can replicate some things and you can add pedals and stuff to do other things that can control the sound but yeah it's just interesting like when you approach an instrument you know you that you got to think about it if you're doing winds on a synth right one of the whole things about a wind instrument is there's breath right a human being can only breathe so much so if you actually try to replicate on the keyboard, you got to consider the fact that you can't just keep on playing endlessly because a human being actually has to take a breath. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. You know, so if you're actually going to replicate like a wind sound, then you should probably know that you have to like stop and start like you were actually breathing and, or maybe using the, the reed and in the way you can use a reed and, or a mouthpiece on a, on a, on a horn or is a little different than just playing the keys. So you kind of got to think about well, how is that instrument really used and whether like the individual characteristics of it that I can kind of figure out. Mm -hmm. That's the, that's so, the thing that I, I love about synth. This is like now we can actually get to a point where we can like have play with organic that. instruments and actually make them, yeah, and like actually work it to where it actually sounds good instead of, it sounds realistic instead of it just being, you know, back in the day when you yeah. had very kind of MIDI almost sounding sounds, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's just interesting because I was talking to this other producer and he was saying, yeah, you really have to think about like, if I'm going to have some strings come in, like, am I going to do staccato? Am I going to do breaks? Am I going to do like, you know, portamentos and decrescendos? Like, I'm going to, I have to kind of think about like, well, how, how is it actually done? Right. So if I'm going to put the, introduce that into my thing and it's not a sample and I'm actually going to play it like on a Kronos mm -hmm. or something, like I got to try to make it sound like the way it would actually be played. I have that sound, but like, am I going to play it right? <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, in the way that instrument is designed to be played, you know? So uh, it is, it's kind of like, you have it's a learning experience as you, as you introduce, oh, I'm going to introduce a cello. Then you got to think about what would a cello player really do, right? Mm -hmm. You know, what's a, what's a, what baritone sax guy, what's he going to do? Right. So, so as you, you have access to all these sounds, but then you got like, well, how would, how do you actually really approach that sound in the, in the best way for your song, you know? Mm -hmm. So, so you said you use the DAW and I think you said you were using Pro Tools. Uh, I use Logic. I have Pro Tools. Oh, Logic, Logic. Computer anymore. oh you don't like it. Yeah. Yeah. So Logic, you like, I heard, I mean, a lot of people are into different, like Ableton and Logic and, different ones but so that that is logic is your is your preferred choice right now that's what you're using to record yeah well since i had gotten used to it early on because my dad had pro tools but he's like oh that's why that's why i had the logic computer because like ah, i don't need this anymore yeah <laughs> he got pro tools got all the nice stuff so like i got used to how logic works so now it's harder yeah. for me to like switch to ableton which is a completely different setup i'm like I don't know where is everything like how, how do i how do i write this on here you know where's the automation you know 
and it's yeah, really yeah. different looking for me, so I just get lost in it. But it has great that, stuff, and the same thing with Pro Tools. It's like great instruments, great things I would love to use, but I don't want to take the time to go up that learning curve again just to figure out how to yeah. That's interesting because, like, the DAW is is kind of interesting. I knew if somebody had Cubase and somebody has FL Studio, and you know, each one has its own kind of workflow. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of a hardware guy, so I've actually stayed away from them. I I use like Tascams and Zooms, Zoom like uh, digital hardware recorders, and I kind of got into these like uh, MP, M, MPC type systems, uh, mm-hmm. like the Akai like MPCs. Just because I like groove boxes, because they're like it shows my age. I kind of grew up in the age of things like that. So when you, mm-hmm. when I was growing up, you had like eight oh eights, nine oh nines, and seven oh sevens, and actual like TD three oh threes, and everything was a box. You know, everything if you wanted to do something, there was no net, right? There was no real PC that could do it during the original way when I was doing stuff. So you use like a Tascam four tracker or a six track scene tracker with a with a with a box with like an eight oh eight. Or, or some kind of groove box from Roland or Korg. And then you'd put it together track by track into a hardware recorder. Uh, and I just found like the way you're, you like using uh, ProLogic, I, I got stuck in that way of working. Cause I like the freedom of just being able to track it however I want and not have a limitation in compression or anything. I can just record exactly what I want. If I can play it, I can record it. <laughs> mm-hmm. See, that's my goal to eventually get because like I as much as I love dogs, I I prefer being hands-on, but I just can't afford it at this point, you know. So I'm just yeah, slowly hard, saving up and getting equipment as I can. But it's like I would rather not have to use my computer at all and just have equipment that I can just play my music on, you know, because like I, I can I can do things a lot quicker. I can get the exact sound I want if I have it hands-on and I'm touching things. But if I have to like scroll through click something drag yeah. and then like mess with all this stuff on the computer i just lose the creative flow it doesn't give you the yeah, same kind of energy that you have with real equipment i think that's the thing it's like the difference between a producer and a and, and like a musician and then you have the kind of hybrid of being both and i think in today's world every musician's got to be like a producer too mm-hmm. but when you get into the dar world you like you spend so much time on the computer and kind of like the way I do it, that you see all this hardware, you know, it's because I grew up, like, I like actually having that hands-on, like on my Moog, if I want something to sound, I have all these dials and I all these knobs, right? And I figured out what they do, right? But mm-hmm. it's like, I can just hands-on without menu diving, get my sound to kind of be where I want it. Like if I was mm-hmm. on a Hammond organ and I'm messing with the draw bars, it's kind of like that. Like, it's like, mm-hmm. it's like the difference, like if you're playing on an organ, you can't, everything's feel, everything's with the pedals, everything's with the, with the draw bars. That's how you get the sound. And I'm kind of like on a Moog, it's like the same thing. Like I got like a grandmother, it's kind of like a mini Moog and you can just mm-hmm. get to where you want to go in real time. And you just kind of mess with it and you kind of know what it does. And I, I just have kind of grown up, you know, with, with this stuff and that's the way I do it. And I know the world's different now. Everybody's on the DAWs. But I just always, I do like to do it kind of old school. <laughs> mm-hmm. but, I think it's good to yeah. know how to do both like that, though. Because that way you can yeah, have, cool. like, yeah. if you're stuck in a gig and your computer's down, it's like, oh, I already know what to do. I got this. I know how to work with all this equipment. 
or like, you know, if you get stuck in a studio with someone and someone's asking you, like, you can get this down, you know exactly what to do. But like, if you get trained on one too much than the other, then you're kind of broken in the world of music. Because nowadays they need someone that's super versatile to be able to like fix whatever problem that is that there at the time, you know? Like say if you write a gig and like, like if you're a, or if you're DJing or something like that and your computer goes down, what happens if you yeah. don't have that sync button do. anymore, you know? You gotta, yeah, yeah, that's the problem. Like, where you got bands that are like they got so many backing tracks, right? If they're if they're Ableton Live goes down, then they can't sound like they're supposed to. And mm -hmm. I've actually heard of some bands actually having to cancel because their computers went down. <laughs> and I'm like, aren't you a band? Can't, can't exactly. you play it? Can't, like, you can't play it. <laughs> like, I'm kind of I grew up like going to see the Allman Brothers. Right. I I used to see like Allman Brothers play. I seen I seen like Prince play live like five times. And um, you know, I saw the Who, I saw Zeppelin. Um, and it's just there's something about like seeing a live band and they've known they could just go off and what I liked about Prince is that he would never play stuff the same way. I I actually saw him at Paisley Park in his house, like in the studio he plays there. And he would just go and do all this crazy stuff. He'd just go off. One day he came out with like a three-piece trio. Just him, a bass player, and a, and a drummer. And they did like this, like Eric Clapton cream-like set. And it was like unbelievable. It was just like he just kicked it out and he just did all this new stuff. It was all new. Never heard it before. And he was just, and he's like, I just, you know, I'm doing what I want. And I mean, it was cool that yeah. he would do that. Like, he didn't play Purple Rain. He didn't play any hits. He just went through and played exactly what he wanted to do, which I think is cool. <laughs> but um, yeah, I just think musicians should be allowed to kind of do whatever they feel like doing is is the more artistically. And I was reading about you, like you said that you were going one direction and then you decided you want to do more like art. So maybe talk about what you mean by that. You're like, we want to kind of do things that kind of serve, serve what, where you want to do aesthetically in, in your music. Well, like, um, I've, I've been doing a lot more painting stuff like that since my dad was an art teacher. So he also taught me how, as well as music, he taught me how to, you know, paint and do drawings stuff like that. So I've been doing lots of paintings and stuff like that, but I want to find a way of like, because like Tool has uh, their music videos, like they're all basically artists that can do different things. Like one does like film, the other one does puppets and stuff like that. Yeah, and I wanted cool. to be able to like incorporate my art into my music and like have like a painting piece, like have like some some way of encoding like the music into it like have um because i have my little system that i made for shapes and notes and stuff like that because i just got bored one day and i was like i want to find out a better way of writing down music than just normal notation exactly like so i wanted to make it to where like i could do like geometric different shapes and like patterns and stuff like that for really cool like pieces that would be abstract almost but if you look at it from my system it would become like a melody that you could like, you know, you could see like, oh, yeah, triangle, it is real, like, like a third, major third, or whatever. Performance you know. art. That's like mm -hmm. performance art. So if you'd see it like in New York, like at the old CBGBs, you had like nothing but performance art. Like the Talking Heads originally was like a performance art band, like an art yeah, rock I'm, band. I'm a huge you Talking know? Heads fan as well. <laughs> and like, like Zappa, like if you ever saw Zappa and the Mothers of Invention, like when they started, they do these happenings. And they'd have like actors and performance artists and painters and uh, film students running films like in the back on a big screen. I mean, uh, Andy Warhol used to do that 
with the Velvets and the Exploding Inevitable, the Velvet mm-hmm. Underground, they would run these shows and they'd have like, Andy Warhol would have all these artists and, and actors and models all on stage and they're just there. And they were just kind of doing whatever to kind of just spitball it, but they were just, you know, just doing art for art's sake, which mm-hmm. I think is cool. I'm, I'm big much into that kind of France, San Francisco, New York scene type thing. Like you just go out and you just do it for the art. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that's like, the, that's the pure essence of it. You know, it's, if you're doing, doing music or art or whatever, it should be an expression of yourself, you know, it should be like trying to like put something out there that, you know, put something else into the world that we've never seen before, do something to communicate, you know, to other people about, you know, what's happening with you. Yeah, I think it's like the best version of yourself. Because I knew a lot of guys when I started, right? Everybody wanted to just be a bar band, right? And just play like Leonard Skinner all night, right? And I'm like, I, I bored with that. Mm-hmm. I immediately got bored. I'm the keyboard player. And I'm like, okay, fine. I can play the stuff for these songs, but it's boring. So I said, mm-hmm. I know I went off and got my own band. And we started writing our own stuff because like, you know, and it was harder to go into a bar and play like original material. People say, free bird. We started yelling free birds, like, okay, whatever. But um, eventually, I, you know, you, you go to the college scene, you get to the right scene, and people d- would dig you because they saw that you were doing something. And the main thing was that you had to believe in yourself, right? Mm-hmm. So if you believe in yourself and you believe what you're doing and your whole group believes it and you're just really into it, then it gets infectious. And then people are like, oh, wow, they're really – like if you – I always tell people, like, if you dig yourself and you don't get, like, scared – just believe in what you're doing. The, the people will come because you're so into it, and, mm-hmm. and it's true. I mean, if you really f- f- do your best, you, well, not trying to be somebody else, do you your best you. You might be inspired by X or Y or Z, but it's your best vision of what you want to do. Then people will, will will pick up on it. So true. So yeah, I'm glad to see that's where you're going because I think that's that's a very important thing today is to kind of as an artist to, to know who you are because mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of artists who are trying to emulate other artists and that's fine if that's where they want to live, but you know I don't want to see the the hundredth copy of Beyonce because mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like Beyonce I, does I, it. The best. <laughs> right right like but i see a lot of artists that imitate like i i think that's a great idea for starting out is that you should have an artist that you like their sound and you try to emulate that so that way it gives you practice or something to like have yeah, a specific get, get genre that you're going how to, for learn how to play yeah <laughs> yeah but after that then you should go for like you know what you're feeling but it's it's always great to have a kind of a role model of like ah, i like this sound i'll practice this type of stuff you know it's kind of like blues, like you think like a guy like, like, a, like if you think about the blues, the blues is very, you know, somewhat limited, but maybe not, because you can you can get Texas blues, you can get Delta blues, right? And mm-hmm. Texas blues and the Delta blues, they're not exactly the same. Uh, and you now you get like a guy like Stevie Ray Vaughan, you get a guy like Hendrix, you know, mm-hmm. like they're coming from different places. Though sometimes mm-hmm. Stevie could cross into sounding almost the same. But he wasn't quite the same, you know, and 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 it's just a matter of like those blue structures have somewhat limitations, like any genre. There's like the blues has a limitation to where you can go with it. It's just kind of how you feel it is how you carry it off. So everybody can talk about the crossroads a thousand different ways. 
you know, but um, mm-hmm. but okay. at the crossroads, you're still going to talk about the same thing. But um, I think it's the same thing like in EDM, like you could get stuck in the drop mm-hmm. and then you always do that drop in the same way or stuck in trap or stuck in trance. The cool thing is what if you mix techno with trance? What if you mix new wave with big, with a, with, with like psychedelia? What if you take a little punk and put it into like a country song, like an outlaw country song, but it comes from a punk perspective. That's where mm-hmm. I think the cross merging of things and people will tell you, oh, you can't, you shouldn't do that. And when soon as somebody tells you you shouldn't do it, then you should do it. <laughs> Dude, that's exactly how I think, man. When someone says, oh, you, oh, don't read, don't read about that, or you know, you shouldn't do that. It's like, I'm gonna do a little bit of research into this, find out why they're so scared of it, you know? Because it's like that's usually where all the innovation is, where people were, people don't want to go, where it's too difficult or it takes a lot of time. That's the stuff that. You know, kind of shows like who are the who's going to be the artist to carry on like this new tradition, or are they going to fail? Are you actually going to you know try the hard stuff and try to do something new, or are you just going to keep on doing? Yeah, same? I mean, because think about I it, like people to do that sometimes. We live in the age of like the two minute, two point five minute song, right? And mm-hmm. it's kind of like the fifties. Uh, today reminds me of the fifties because everybody's doing like these hook based songs. And sometimes they don't really mean that much, but they've got mm-hmm. a, a memorable melody. And it's kind of like in the 50s, you had that. You had a lot of, there weren't really albums. You'd have, collect, if an album came out, it was a collection of all these little hits that you had. And they didn't really f- work. Maybe they worked because you, you had the same kind of sound with all your singles. But, you know, until people started to actually get in the 60s and start creating albums that actually had structure. Uh, everything was kind of like that. So we're kind of in this age where things are more singles because everything's being driven by playlists. So everything is like kind of disjointed and you don't get people doing full projects. Like, you know, you're starting to see some bands do EPs again and then people that really have a a vision will do an album, but, but it's really still like a playlist world. And, uh, mm-hmm. and and I, I hate that limitation because I kind of come from the funkadelic tradition. I'm like, oh, I have a 10 minute song, mm-hmm. I have a 15 yeah, minute yeah. song. <laughs> you know, you know, it's like, what's wrong with that? You know, and the Eagles, they told them, like, oh, you can't put out Hotel California. And Queen, they told them you couldn't put out Bohemian Rhapsody. And Skinner, they told them you couldn't put out Freebird. So the idea, like, the industry always says, oh, you could, that doesn't work, and it has worked. Mm-hmm. It depends on if you're willing to let it come out you know there's so you could have something that's longer than two minutes if you mm-hmm. can actually make it so that somebody wants to listen to it um but the idea that you can't have it at all i think is very frustrating to me <laughs> in today's yeah, industry that's kind of killing me with spotify is like because since i'm very like i've been putting out singles recently just because i'm trying to get you know on mm-hmm. some playlist because i'm trying to do i trying to get my, more listeners and stuff but I'm a concept album type of person. Like I like one of my um, one of my albums is Evolution of Thought. It's actually one song that I broke up into seven different parts because it's an hour long, and it's like yeah, it goes yeah. through a classical feel and country, and it has like all this like, weird yeah. stuff, but it blends in together. But like no one's gonna, it's no one's gonna look at a 15 minute up. song and then put, click that on Spotify, you know, because it's the two minute songs that get played really quickly and have lot rack up lots of. Uh, Listen to stuff. But the way they're running their distribution, they're running their distribution to maximize the way they want to make profit, which is by these shorter songs. 
It's not mm-hmm. an, ar- an artistic decision, in my opinion, because there's a lot of really good songs that go over the two and a half minutes. You know, they're five minute songs. They're six minute mm-hmm. songs. They're very vital in the history of music. You know, if you go into the 70s and the 60s, the stuff is a lot longer. Um, mm-hmm. And so the, the idea that it can't be popular is, is total trash because you can go back and look at like a, a top 10 list from 72, 74, 75, 76, and go look at the length of those songs, you know, and, and it's not what these are. Um, so, mm-hmm. so in my opinion is like, you, they, they just have to find, we have to have other places to play things. Like, like we put our songs onto a video game, get your songs into mm-hmm. a TV show, get your songs into like a different venue. Um, because there's different places that you can put your music, like, like you can put them into games, you can put them into like, you know, YouTube videos, uh, you can get them into different channels and different areas where these guys don't control it. And then you have a better shot at getting, you know, somebody into it. Um, and mm-hmm. I think that's what you have to do. You have to, you have to kind of build an audience on these other platforms and there's always mm-hmm. new ones coming out. I'm always like, yeah, you just make sure you register your stuff with a professional organization. So if somebody starts putting your stuff in the film that you don't, you get your money. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. That's the thing with artists, like the history of art is all the blues guys got ripped off. Cause they just signed in order to play, you know, lightning Hopkins, all these guys, you know, lead belly. They want oh, I'll sign it just so I can play. And then they mm-hmm. don't get any money, <laughs> you know, so like, be careful who you sign with. You know, I always tell people mm-hmm. make sure you get the rights, try to own your master. Um, you know, make sure you get your, your, um, your publishing rights and your, uh, actual mechanical rights is very important as a musician, whether you're getting hits or not, is it like, make sure you register mm-hmm. all your material. So you don't get taken advantage of. And I think it's very big uh, nowadays since we're so connected and everything, people can easily take your stuff. If it really sounds good and they like it, you know, like people can find an, a, an artist that's just, you know, kind of young and dumb and doesn't know anything and take their, especially take their with song sampling because, yeah, because yeah. there's so many people sampling and there's a lot of samplers that are like, oh, I know what I can sample. I'll sample all these uh, SoundCloud artists that aren't registering their stuff. <laughs> mm-hmm. and so then they can't really do anything to me when I get a big hit off of them because they didn't register their work. So like, mm-hmm. and I registered it. my own. So like now that I own their stuff, you know. Yeah, there's some people that will for register, yeah. my YouTube stuff. Yeah, they register they, your stuff, and then then you can't play it because they took it and act like it was theirs. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, I got strikes yeah. on my YouTube channel because it said that, that I it was theirs. Like the videos, my videos before. There's like why yeah, there's people who just me? love mining. There's some producers that are very good at mining other people's work, and I mm-hmm. guess their talent on what goes together. But my opinion about that is is kind of harsh because I'm I'm a guy that I build things from the sound wave. You know, I got like I build my own sounds. Mm-hmm. I don't buy sound. I build my sounds, right? And so I build my own beats with my own drum machines. So if somebody steals one of my beats, then it acts like they did it like you know my stuff's registered and they get they get pushed down pretty fast <laughs> mm-hmm. um it's just like yeah i don't really have too much patience for that it's like that's like okay like if i hear somebody use one of my things and i like what they did then i might negotiate with them because if they did something cool it's like okay you did something cool we could work something out but like if you just blatantly take it like ice ice baby 
you know, mm-hmm. what they did, what, what they did with that song. It's like, that's not cool. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, I don't like that. I don't think that's cool. But um, so have you been doing any um, like live streaming? Is that do you do live streaming at all? I haven't. Like, I, I recently just got this camera. Um, I, I haven't had any time because I've been working at Amazon uh, for the past year. And like, first I was working overnight and that screwed up everything. And now I'm on day shift, yeah, so I'm still hard. working like 10 hours a day. And then they call like mandatory extra time like almost every week. So I haven't really yeah, had too much time to do the things I want to, especially like, cause like the times are like the weekends, you know, and that's usually when I get called into work and it's like, but that's the time I want to be able to do stuff because it's the time everybody's home. So that way everybody yeah. can like actually be able to live stream, you know? So, but I, yeah, I do but it every once in a while, mm-hmm. but like just a couple of painting videos on YouTube and that's about it. Yeah. Cause one thing we're, we're always working on things, but um, we have a festival uh, that we did in July with um, the podcast guests, we had like 22 bands we had interviewed since uh, 2018, all do like a half hour set. And we called it the Peg Bedroom Producer Festival. And so we did it on this channel and we did like a three day festival of guests that we had interviewed and everybody did like a 30 minute set from wherever they had it. You know, some bands couldn't do live. So they had like YouTube videos that they produced ahead of time, but never really put out. And they ran those. Or they gave us something okay. before. So we're doing it again in February, February 11th through the 13th. And we're booking bands. And so there's multiple ways to do it. Like, so if you can't get something live, you could do something over time and record something on YouTube and make it like a private video and then we'll push it out. So let us okay. know if you'd be interested in something like that. So we can work. I might, I might be able to throw some stuff together depending on, you know, how much time I have. Uh, it's like, yeah, it's not till February 11th. It's kind of a, a hard one for shipping. Well, if you can get okay, it done so before February. February 11th, then, uh, you know, if you got like a 20-minute set, or, or even then, we had some guys that couldn't do 20 minutes, they did like 10, you know. But okay. um, we're trying to get at least at least 20 minutes for each band. Um, and But, you know, if you do 10, then, you know, you have it, then we could fit you in because we're trying to fit as many bands as we can. So yeah, that's kind of cool. We just want to give independent bands another way to play because people can't play, you know, mm-hmm. out venues. And we're thinking next year we might do this even more. We'll do like artist showcase, where like if somebody wants to play forty five minutes, we might say, "Hey, Peg Produ- is um is actually sponsoring that you're doing a show, and you do the show through us, and we even have the ability to like do live tickets through Facebook events." So we could actually charge like a dollar um, okay. and see if people want to pay. And so we have we have a way to do that. We can schedule it and then have ticketed things. And we're actually trying to find, we have a band in the UK that uh, we're going to work with us on trying to be the guinea pig to see if it works. We're looking at like a 50 cent to a dollar ticket um, to just be able to see a half hour to an hour worth of uh, your band plan. Uh, and we use this venue to do it. And uh, we've got all kinds of cool things we can help people. We know how to help people do like a three camera shot. We've been doing our YouTube channel with OBS, virtual webcam. There's a tool that you can use for free that allow you to take all your webcams and have a three camera shot of your performance um, if you had three. <laughs> but mm-hmm. um, yeah, there's a lot of cool things because people can't play in venues. And we want to give mm-hmm. people like artists a, a way to have a platform to actually do their work and 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 be safe and then still have their their fans interact mm-hmm. 
that's the beautiful thing about about the the new modern world is that like you know everything shut down but at least we still have communication like if this had happened 20 years ago everything would yeah, be so screwed because there's yeah because there's, there's there would have been no way for us to have like the interaction that we have today with like being able to do calls like this with video video and stuff like that and be able to actually like, inter- have like live shows like uh like you're talking about it's important for people to see you know not just talk to the bands because like, i've been doing that and i think that's cool and i've been trying to give you know bands a place to talk but also uh i said well you know if we can talk we can play and it's just mm-hmm. a matter of sometimes making sure your audio interface has a good enough quality that people can you know will listen to it but um mm-hmm. yeah I've, I've been able to do it we did one with 22 bands we sound checked 22 bands and we got them out there um so yeah it's something we think is important uh and because of what's going on nowadays bands still can't play live uh and and this cool thing is we're playing from like seven in the morning till 11 at night so we're getting bands from like norway and you know australia and iceland to play in the morning and then other bands play like you know when it fits their time zone so mm-hmm. yeah we can hit everybody at whatever time because we're doing three days some some bit in the schedule will fit your your life <laughs> I love um, it. That's, that's where we're hoping um and we just would love we'd love to have you play if you if you got something we can do with it we'd like to give give the world a bigger give you a bigger platform so people that can see your music and hear it you know okay i think i'd be down yeah i just think it's cool to do that and it's like everybody should go out and check out your uh, parallel lines collide which we've been running down below. And uh, we, we always tell people like, click the links to the artist that we bring to you here. Um, not only click the links, but subscribe to their YouTube, subscribe to wherever they are, like it, follow it, download it, where you can buy it, buy it. Like if you like a YouTuber, gamer, people give them tips. Musicians, mm-hmm. for some reason, people forget that we put a lot of work into things and then we don't get a lot of results. <laughs> so I would oh, yeah. suggest if you give money to your favorite YouTuber, you know, donate to your favorite musician by buying their material where mm-hmm. it can be bought, buy their merch, download the material, like it, put it on a playlist, tell other people about it. That's what you do to support the bands you love. Mm-hmm. So is there anything you're working on into this year or next year, like, like the album you were talking about, like the EP maybe? Um, I've got several things that I'm working on. Um, I have the, the one that's the heavy polyrhythm um, slash drum and bass uh, influenced one. I'm also working on, um, I'm part of this like a kind of occult magic community and stuff like that. And, you know, it's kind of like fun philosophy stuff. and. I wanted to involve the little community. I'm still waiting for them to get back to me, but like each person does like kind of like, they send me an audio clip of them, like reading out an incantation or a spell or something like that. And then I'm going to make it into an ambient album and call it Spellbook. Oh, that sounds cool. I'm, right. And like that's a lot of them are supposed to be like, yeah, like they're going to be like uh, more dream oriented and stuff like that. And like stuff for people to like put on for them to kind of like go to sleep or something like that and listen to like, you know, help uh facilitate lucid dreaming or whatever because that's one of my favorite things to do i like sleeping a lot so 
No, I think a lot of ideas come from dreams. You know, I, I, I would say like, I love having my bedroom studio because I would just wake up from a dream and I'll go run to my notebook and then run to my synth, put my headphones on and say, I, I something came to me. And For real, I've had several there. songs. Just three o'clock in the morning, I wake up, I'm like, I, I know this is a great idea. And I just run to my computer and I manically like make an entire song right before I go to work. <laughs> I think yeah. a lot of artists do that because I've talked to artists like like they were saying I said I talked to this lady and she was out and she just voice memoed something that came to her like out of the ether. And she mm-hmm. and then she was like she said it was like one of the best songs she ever did. It is and she said it kind of came to her like a complete thought, like the whole like lyric line, like the main part of the song. This somehow and the thing is I what I think happens is musicians, we we're we're kind of like a sponge. Right. And we mm-hmm. we pick up all of our influences. We pick up all the stuff we read. And it seems like it came out of nowhere, but somehow in your artistic mind, you're kind of putting things together. And then sometimes like boom, it mm-hmm. comes out. And then you're like, oh. And then the thing is you gotta know when to not not ignore it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And kind of take it. Like Hendrix was famous. I'll tell a story. Like Hendrix was with the Isley brothers and he was recording and they was doing their song. And then suddenly something came to him that was, wasn't theirs. It was his, right? And he went and put it down in their recording session, right? And they say, what are you doing? It has nothing to do with our song, right? <laughs> he said, well, it came out of somewhere and I had to catch it. I'm sorry, mm-hmm. but I, I didn't want to lose it. So I had to catch it. So I put it down on your tape and they're like, you're, you're, you're spending our money. <laughs> but, uh yeah, I think sometimes they, you have an artist, we got to do what we got to do. For real, especially when they like inspiration hits, sometimes it's like you're far away from anything. Like, you're, I'm like grocery shopping or something like that, and I get like a, like a melody or like a kind of a little rhyme in my head, and like, shit, I got to write that down. So, like, I pull out my phone, got to put something down real quick, just so that way I don't forget it. Because, like, some of my best stuff, and like, I've noticed from other artists, some of their best stuff is just stuff that hit them out of nowhere that their brain just kind of like eventually put everything together like you were saying and just kind of gave them like a little piece and they're like oh I, I, this is this is something that's very good i let, but also like that idea of like it comes out as a complete thought almost already like that song the missing you my love one that i that uh, you played that one like i literally i had i sat down and i just wrote it all in like of, like two hours just because like i had already like it was just in my head already and i didn't have to like try to figure out yeah. like, what do I want that to sound like? It's like, oh, I know exactly what I need right now for this, like, this sound. But then, like, most of the time I'll be on my computer, like, searching for hours, just like, I'm going to try this. That doesn't sound good, you know? Like, it'll be just hours and yeah. hours of nothing. And then one day, just, just you know, a complete song in an hour. It's weird, because I do, I like to do a lot of stream of consciousness stuff, because I'm, like, into Dylan and uh, Lou oh, yeah, And what I read about them is, like, Dylan would have his typewriter. He'd bring it to him, right? Where he's like big pink with the band, he'd have his typewriter, and he's like, he'd get like an idea, somebody like to say a phrase, and then Dylan would take it and then do a whole song off like one phrase, or something mm-hmm. he read in a book, and then he would suddenly just type it out. He'd sit there his typewriter and bang it out, and then go run downstairs with Robbie Robertson and all the big guys, and just like put it out. And um, so I kind of got into that, and like uh, one day I was doing something, and I came up with this idea. It's like, oh. You know, people say that they're falling in love. And I came up with this idea. What if you said you were ascending instead of falling, right? So I came up with this idea called ascending into darling mode. And then I said, Ooh, oh, I that's like the that. idea. 
right? And then I just had my open mic and I had all my sense and I just like put opened up a track, opened up a drum on my drum on my uh, Moog drum machine, and I just freeformed it. And I actually put it down as like the first take. Like I just just somehow I just took that idea and I just free flowed it for like ten minutes and then I cut it down to like five, and I released it and uh, it did pretty well. And it's like I didn't really overthink it. And I think I think mm-hmm. that's I, I as I get older I like to write my songs that way. If I could just kind of put it into one session and get it out. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean there's some stuff I try to really micromanage, but I really like it when it comes together like that. It just makes everything a lot easier because then you're not worried about like, oh, this, 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 you know, should I put a major third here? Would that sound better than, you know, switching to minor or like, instead of just trying to Yeah, if you're overthinking a song, you tend to wreck it. You tend to wreck a song. From my opinion, what happens, like, the further, the more takes you do on a song, by the time you get to take 40, you have totally lost the original intent of the song, right? Mm -hmm. If you're at take one through five, you're probably closer to what the song was really about. But if you get obsessive about trying to make something perfect, and I would always tell as a people, as a producer, like, even if you've got a mistake in take one through five, if that's a little micro mistake, you know, go back to the seventies, like a famous producer, Todd Rundgren, right. On his song, hello, it's me. If you listen to that song, it's got errors in it through the whole thing. It's got timing errors. It's got tape cuts. But it's such a good song, right, that he didn't overdo it. He kind of just mm-hmm. let it be on the whatever version he put out, but he didn't obsess about it too much. He kind of like, you know, mm-hmm. leave it in there. Uh, because like the happy accident, like in the 70s, and you know, a lot of songs are happy accidents. I mean, even thinking like Keith Richards playing, it, it can't be really clocked that good. If you try to clock Keith Richards, like he's playing like all over the place and it's very hard to kind of tighten him into a doll type of situation. But like, why would you? Because it just mm-hmm. sounds great. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I try to tell people that some people can't be put into a doll. Keith Richards mm-hmm. is one. <laughs> like Keith Moon. It doesn't work. Like you, you kind of got to play it with them. There's some people you actually got to play with them. You can't, you can't doll it. You got to actually go and live record it. <laughs> yeah, play by feel, not by like a quantitization type thing. As much as yeah, I like the quantitization to make my stuff play a little bit better, it's like you lose a little bit of humanity when you uh, put everything into that grid shape, you know? Well, you get really catchy stuff that's really cool, and I understand why why it's great, but I am a big believer in the happy accident, like live feel it, and all the micro errors that are in, in happy accidents, they're in classic music. You, you know, it's part of that thing. It's like we're human. So there are going to be timing mm-hmm. errors. There are going to be like uh, key change errors. That, but sometimes it works for that song. And the problem mm-hmm. today is if you get all these producers that think you got to get so clean that there's no accident, it, I think that's taking the wrong approach because like music mm-hmm. is, is a human activity. It's a human art form. And if you take, let the machine drive it, then you kind of lose something. Yeah, you lose the soul of it. I mean, funk, funk is really like if you get into funk. I mean, funk is like it, it is kind of it's like jazz, and it, mm-hmm. it, it's going to be a little off. It's off on purpose. That's why it's yeah. funky. It's funk, yeah. <laughs> That's why it is. That's what it is. 
But uh, yeah, we, we really love having you on the show. And uh, again, like we have people come on multiple times. We'd like you to be part of the festival in February 11th through the 13th. We'll talk about that. And uh, we're going to push this out so everybody sees it. And we'll give you the links and uh, enjoy having you on. All right. I enjoyed being on. Thank you very much. And uh, everybody go out and check out Smith's show. And you're on all the all the platforms. They're on this link that we have here. You can check out that link and check out the new material. Check out the video we showed. Uh, we do have the hyperlink for the YouTube video that we did show. We have the hyperlink for your Destroyed Kid stuff. And uh, just check your uh, profile on all the platforms that you're on. And we appreciate you, Smith Show being on, on on the program. And we'll talk to you again. See you later, man. This is Fam Electric Ghost, and Newsly is an audio app for iOS and Android. It picks up web articles about the most trending topics on the web at any given moment and reads them to you in a natural human voice. So for the first time in history on the net, the web becomes listenable. Browse articles from topics you choose and start playing, stop scrolling, start listening. They have podcasts as well, so explore trending podcasts from over 40 countries. Our podcast, the Family Electric Ghost Podcast, is on there too. So download and use Newsly for free now from www.newsly.me. So that's www.newsly.me, and that's N-E-W-S-L-Y, N-E-W-S-L-Y.me. And so use the promo code GHOST2021 and receive one one month free premium uh, subscription. So like, that's a pretty cool deal. So all you got to do is use ghost 2021 and you get a one month free premium uh, subscription to Newsly. Check it out. You'll like it. I use, I listen to it every day and it's really great. Thank you. Uh, and keep on listening to Peg and everything else on Anchor FM and Spotify podcast. Thank you.